0: Hello and welcome to the In Publishing Podcast. Our guest this week is Ian Murray, the Executive Director of the Society of Editors, which has more than 400 members from across the media. We would like to thank our podcast sponsor, Acorn Web Offset, the Yorkshire based specialist A5 and A4 magazine printer. With high speed web offset and sheet fed printing, Together with in house saddle stitching, perfect binding, and mailing services, Acorn can cope with the most demanding of production turnarounds. Acorn prides itself on its efficiency and low cost print production. For more information, visit acornweb.co.uk. Ian Murray has been executive director of the Society of Editors since October 2017, when he took over from founding director Bob Satchwell. Ian edited the Southern Daily Echo for nearly 20 years and was editor in chief of Newsquest's Hampshire titles. Ian, welcome to the In Publishing podcast.
1: Thank you very much. It's great to be here.
0: So, can we begin by um, asking a little bit about your career, um, your your long career in uh, regional and local? newspapers and how you got to where you are today?
1: Um, thank you for, for saying it's long. <laughs> it, is, it is four decades and they have swept by. And I, um, uh, I started in uh, local journalism uh, um, on my local newspaper. And I, 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 I often say, oh, I always wanted to do, I wanted to be a, a journalist. But in fact, um, I originally wanted to go into advertising. And th- the reason for that, um, I won't bore you all with. But I, so I mentioned this to my, my careers teacher at, at the very good comprehensive school I went to. And um, he said, why do you want to do that, Murray? He said, I think you'd make a good journalist because let's look at the facts here. You, you've, you're reasonably good at English. Um, you can tell a good story. You are inquisitive, nosy, you've got a thick skin, and you can't spell. You're perfect for the job. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, and actually, he's he's right. Thank goodness for sub editors and spell check down the years. I, I'm sure I'm sure I've got better. Uh, but that was it. And so when I I began to look into it, and I thought this is this is fantastic. And I did. I was so lucky to get a job on my local newspaper, um, where I I the trade at the end of a, a of a golden era. A golden era um, in weekly newspapers. Because what we didn't know was coming, no one knew, was the advent of it. Uh, the, the, one of the great hurricanes to blow through uh, the newspaper industry uh, at the end of the 70s and into the 80s, and that was the arrival of free newspapers in the country. Um, beforehand, they didn't, they didn't exist. Uh, and you tell that to youngsters today, and they look at you blank. What? world without free newspapers? Uh, yes, they didn't exist. So, But I, I was lucky to do my training. During that period, and it was well staffed. There were were lots of of, of reporters there. And so I had the time and the benefit, the wisdom of ages of the journalists that I worked with there who taught me that. And one of the the first things they taught me was, I was taught by my first news editor was, Ian, anyone can get a story. It's the story that matters. Take your time and get the facts right. Make sure it's balanced and be accurate. All those wonderful things of that kind of thing. So I did that for a while. Staying within the same country, uh, same, same country, same company, um, yeah. uh, which uh, then became uh, Boulevard Newspapers, um, which are now the, the papers that I worked on in Stourbridge uh, in the West Midlands and in Hidderminster uh, uh, now belong to NewsQuest, um, which was funny because I did it full circle and came back to NewsQuest uh, after a while. But then I edited uh, at the tender age of, I, I think, 26, and I was considered one of the youngest paper editors around at that time. I edited The Kiddie Mr. Shuttle so I, I edited the Kidmans' shuttle for a few years and then left. The, the the usual The usual tract then for for a career was that after you've been sort of the editor of a weekly newspaper, you then go on to be sort of a, a top table sub on a, a daily regional newspaper, um, and then you might move off on on that way. But I didn't actually want that. So I wanted to get back to to the news. I want, and so I, I set myself on a trajectory to become a news editor somewhere. And I thought, if I can make that, that's the pinnacle. Um, and I I did. I made it to the become. The the news editor of the, of the Bournemouth Echo um, after having worked in Birmingham um, and then eventually went on to be the managing editor of the Bournemouth Echo uh, before I was invited to take over to become the, the editor um, of the Southern Daily Echo in Southampton. And then for the last few years when I was there, I was editor-in-chief of, of that paper and a number of weeklies and magazines um, in the NewsQuest Empire in Hampshire and, and that region.
0: And you spent nearly 20 years as editor of the Southern Daily Echo. What stories and campaigns are you proudest of from that era?
1: Oh, uh, there are... Endless, endless stories. I mean, any good newspaper, and I I like to think I, 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 you know, I don't want to boast about it because it was the team, the team at Southampton and and everywhere. And I'm sure it's it's the same with with all um, newspapers. They were utterly fantastic, and always, always, it was to champion the cause of those that didn't have um, a really strong voice. And so, over the years, I remember that we were able to to um, you know get get justice for an awful lot of people who were struggling. Usually. Against the machine, usually against the apparatus of, if we say the local council or something like that. That they were just a number. But of course, once we got involved, um, the, the the wheels moved sort of quite quickly. One of the ones, one of the the, the issues that I felt um, I feel most proud about was was actually during um, the, uh, the, the the period that followed the um, the Gulf War and. Um, and then in Afghanistan and um, and Iraq, and the, the Hampshire Regiment were were returning, and they were going to march march through the city. We're giving the you know a, a, a march through the city, and the the, the, the city council were not as though they weren't supportive, but they, they 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 weren't. We felt they weren't doing that much, and so. Um, we started a campaign to actually promote this and promote the fact that the lads and lasses were going to be marching through. And I think it came from the fact that I'd seen it in one town and and hardly anyone turned out to actually do it. Anyway, cut a long story short, we promoted it. The council then came on board. They actually uh, ensured that schools could have the day off and come down. And we got thousands and thousands of people, just thousands of people cheering them. And I just thought, fantastic, utterly fantastic.
0: Great, great. It still moves
1: me to tears to this day, as you can probably hear. Oh,
0: yes, a lovely memory. Um, so you you moved uh, to the Society of Editors, and uh, in 2017, you took over from Bob Satchwell. Um, and how do you see your role there?
1: Um, well, yes, uh, Bob, the, you know, Bob, fantastic. I'd known Bob for more than 20 years uh, when he was editor at, um, at Cambridge, um, uh, and, and I had to remind him, actually, that he did offer me a job when I was just a, a young reporter, slightly younger than Bob, um, and he did offer me a job, and I actually turned it down. Um, to which he said he couldn't remember at all. He couldn't remember that that at all. But it was—I yes. I would have loved to have gone and worked with him at Cambridge, but he just didn't work for domestic reasons. Um, and uh, so we'd known, and when we were the then fellow editors later on, we were part of the, the old Guild of Editors, which then became the Society of Editors. And Bob very kindly, in, in because I was very enthusiastic all, all the way through in supporting, inviting me to join the board. Uh, sort of that would be about fifteen years ago now. And then I became president of the society um and then uh, uh, Bob you know, unfortunately um had an illness which which forced him to retire um and the board invited me to to step into his shoes and what shoes they are I, I said from the very beginning look i can 't be bob i I'm not going to be bob no one can be bob he was a he was such a powerful force. For good in the industry, uh, but I—they uh, said, "Well, go on, give it a try." <laughs> Very <laughs> brave souls. So I stepped up to the plate, and hopefully, I've—I've I've done well. And the—the the, the role of the society is, is evolving in many ways. Um, it always should, and I think that's right because the role of the media. But at its heart, at its heart, it remains true. to me. That is that we are there to campaign on behalf of press freedom, of freedom of expression public's right to know even if sometimes they don't want to public's right to know of diversity in the in in the newsrooms that's been w- one of our platforms for a long time and also high standards of training um, in the editorial world and it's on the basis of that that that, that we campaign we are we're not funded by by any particular part of the industry. So when I go into battle, when I'm rolled out to, to go into battle on behalf of e- principles of editorial freedom, talking to government or other bodies, uh, I'm not doing so on behalf of Mr. Murdoch or the Barclay Brothers or the BBC or Sky, although th- th- their organisations are represented on our board. I- I'm there not for those commercial reasons. I'm there for the principle.
0: Well, as you say, it, it's a it's a tremendously difficult time for local and regional newspapers at the moment with titles closing and job losses, which has been accelerated by COVID. What can you do as the Society of Editors to support the industry? And what do you think can be done more widely to ensure that local and regional news is still covered?
1: Um, what a sweeping question. And if I had yeah. all the answers to that, then, then obviously I would be heading up one of the major newspaper companies that are there. From the society's point of view, we can continue to hammer home the message, um, which we have always hammered home, that whether it be on a national level. Because we represent broadcasters as well as I've said, Sky and and uh, and BBC and ITN uh, that are there, and but also also very much on a, on a, on a regional level, on a local level, we keep on hammering home the importance of a free media, a trusted media. It, it's there to, to to have the checks and balances on local democracy, to ensure we have open justice in this country. Uh, to but it also is there to to knit society and communities together. And we've had large numbers of, of incidences and, and reports to us during the uh, the present COVID-19 crisis of newspapers rallying, uh, you know, to, to, because it's local communities have been coming to them and saying, we can't make head and tails of this. Can you tell us what's going on? We're getting conflicting reports on things, but we trust you. We trust our local newspaper. And the reports that come out also show that, uh, in, in general, you know, Depends on what your your flavour of 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 national newspaper is. That's true also of national newspapers. The media has come out of this crisis really quite well in the sense of trust uh, from the surveys that have been done in that providing that that information, and it's building on that going forward. And and to be fair, the government have recognised the role of the media. They have come forward with financial support for national and regional um newspapers um about 35 million i think pounds in in advertising to get their message across about the crisis Uh, and it it is recognized that 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 the importance there And, and i hope and believe that one of the very thin silver linings terrible time we're going through is that it has reminded of the value of their local free dependent media
0: well, you've, you've talked about trust there and there has been a real um, issue around this in recent years, uh, particularly concerning fake news online and uh, discussion over what can be done to legislate against it. Um, you're obviously concerned about the risks of overhasty legislation and censorship in general. Can you talk us through the issues and how you would like the government to proceed?
1: Uh, yes, of course, as as um, as simply as I can. I mean, it really—it's a be careful for what you wish for kind of circumstances. So, so the, the 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 giant digital platforms, as we know, talking about Facebook and Google and and Twitter, and then there are others that are that are that are coming along. Um, they're out there and. They've created, uh, and not particularly those, uh, those companies themselves, but the platforms have given the opportunity for there to be this spread of Wild West news and information, shall we say, uh, you know, a lot of it unregulated, although, again, to be fair um, – Google and Twitter and Facebook are are bringing in, have bought in, all kinds of checking and and uh, all kinds of uh, uh, methods of, of, of regulation that they're trying to to bring in on, on that. Um, but it, it is seen that something more needs to be done, and the industry itself, the mainstream media, as we, we would say, see that and say, "Look, you uh, stop." In a sense, w- why is it always the focus on the mainstream media, the easy targets for regulation? We must do something about. Where- and why not though those areas but it is very much a, a case of be careful of what you wish for and we've got for instance the case of the present online harms bill which is going which is uh being prepared to be put parliament and to be discussed and one of the areas there i mean it, it, no one can argue about the fact that we that something has to be done to to clamp down on the, uh, online where children are abused Adults sort are of abused or, or self-harm or all the, the myriad of things that are, that are there. But then when we come into the area of fake news, and politicians like, like to do this, pay, let's, we need to clamp down on fake news, misinformation, disinformation that's out there. That all sounds marvelous until you actually say, well, who, who is going to decide what is fake news? Who is going to decide what is misinformation and disinformation? And it's, it's not very long before you actually get to some Orwellian-style ministry of truths. We decide what's true. for And you can't escape once you begin to go down that line of... And also, there's a lot of discussion that goes on about where should support be? It should be support for news which is in the public interest. Public interest journalism. We hear a lot about that. Well, who's deciding what's public interest journalism? You see, I think... Public interest journalism covers most journalism that, that is out there. I can make a very good case for covering grassroots sport. In a local yeah. newspaper, is public interest journalism, but I never crops up. None of that. It, it's all about the, covering the local council. I totally agree. Covering the courts and the us, I totally agree. But, let's, but if you're saying that those are only the ones in the public so there's all those kinds kinds of things. And if we're not careful in the rush, and only the last week, we had the, uh, the DCMS uh, committee come out and say, come on, government, get your finger out. We want the detail of this online harms bill. We need to clamp down on disinformation and misinformation. Let's have some action now. You've talked about it for long enough. And that's where the danger lies. In it comes, let's have some quick laws. Let's have some. Uh, but of course, we're not trying to affect Um, uh, freedom of expression or a free press, they say. And I genuinely believe that politicians aren't, most of them, aren't trying to do that, but that's the laws of unintended consequences. And even if you do succeed, the danger is where it's saying, well, no, 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 what we're doing is we're putting pressure on the the digital platforms. How How do they react to that? And the simplest method for them, perhaps even the only method for them, is to actually come in with something where they use Algorithms uh, to, to 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 look out for words and phrases and then block that for, from being there, but that is surely going to stifle and censor, stifle debate and and take away and may harm platforms of legitimate news, news outlets, newspapers and broadcasters so it's, it's fraught with difficulty. there are no simple answers, and you only have to look at other countries around the world who have tried to do this. I think France have tried to do this. I think Australia have tried to, tried to do this. America doesn't because it simply doesn't believe in, in in anything that damages free speech. You've only got to see them try the ones who tried to do this. They backed away because it is so complicated, and have said, "Actually, well, go for it, Britain. you will see what you come up with." Um, well, sometimes it's good to be uh, pathfinders, trailblazers, and sometimes it's uh, um, you know acting haste and regret at leisure.
0: But do you think that journalism has an image problem that actually people, for right or for wrong, don't trust uh, mainstream newspapers in the way that they used to do? And what can the industry do to help improve the public's trust in them?
1: Uh, well, you're absolutely right. There's no point in me sitting here and, I, I, and when I'm... As I say, I'm rolled out and I talk on radio and TV and others and, uh, about the industry and that comes up, I have to say, well, yes, there there, there is a problem with that. And, and to a certain extent, the industry ha- has been its own worst enemy in some ways uh, and doing things, not just in the way that perhaps it, it act, acted you know, a couple of decades ago when it was a, 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 a little bit more forthright, shall we say, um, with things that were there uh, – um, but also the fact that it 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 hasn't been prepared to defend itself quite as, as well as it it sh- it could do, whether that some of it was to do with that uh, well, why should we defend it? It's obvious you know a free media, a free press is absolutely vital, nothing to see here, move along kind of thing um but it hasn't been held also, and one of the big roles of the society of editors is to to point the finger at some politicians and those in uh positions to influence. Who, who, on the one hand, will quite often say, oh, well, we be- believe in a free press. Of course we do. We believe in scrutiny of of, of politicians. We believe in in the covering of the courts and everything. But we, uh, we don't believe in, in uh, 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 a press which attacks us. We don't believe that the press should be free to uh, uh, attack the things that, that we say. That, of course, is all fake news. Um, and that that undermines quite often the credibility of the media when you've got influencers people in positions of power saying well, it's all fake news it's all fake news don't believe it don't believe it so so one of the things that that, that we've got to do uh, as an industry i think is fight back and ironically as i've said the very thin silver lining to the covid-19 has It has really uh, underscored just how important having um, a a strong media in this country is for finding out really what is going, going on. We also need, though, to fight back and say, look, this is it. And here are our credentials. This is it. We're trained. We're regulated. We stick within the law. Uh, that, that's not happening out there on the platforms. That's not happening in in, in in social media where, I mean, not blaming the companies, but I'm saying that social media where y- your friends are just putting things on there and, uh, or, or we've heard such and such, or people are actually of course, deliberately misinformed and, set, and setting out uh, the wrong ideas that are there. That's not happening there. So we are the people that are trained. We are regulated. We stick to the law. Um, and we have to. And you can check us. And you can check where this. And what the industry's got, had to find to do is to, is to more and more actually quantify and qualify where it's getting this information from. Look, you can trust this information because here are our sources. Click here and you can go to this. You can, you can, you can trust us on all these kinds of things. And it's no bad thing that it's had to do that.
0: Well, you might already have answered this question, but you mentioned politicians. And um, obviously, in the US, President Trump has been the media's biggest critic uh, and describes the press as the enemy of the people. What would you say to him if you ever got the chance to meet?
1: <laughs> what, would I, what would I say to him? Well, I would say, uh, Mr. President, of course, I think he deserves the respect of the, of the job that he holds. Um, I'm afraid that you're wrong. And uh, we are not the enemies of the people. Uh, the media, uh, particularly in this country are are the defenders of the people and the pu- and the public 's right to know but i I, I suppose President of the United States is held up. The President of the United States is held up as the, um, uh, as, as the person who instigated and starting this, started this term of fake news. In fact, he himself claims the credit for, if you can call it that, for I invented the term fake news. Well, uh, I don't think that's quite, uh, quite true. However, ultimately, if you look at, at, um, uh, uh, Americans and you know, I, I, I very much, uh, by an awful lot of the journalism, the journalists in the United States. If you look at the way that they do approach it, it, it is quite partisan. And we're talking about broadcast here in particular. So he may, he may have, uh, you know, some credibility when he actually says they're all out to get me. (laughs) There's no one on my side except for, for perhaps, say, Fox News, Uh, because they can be terribly partisan. And what we don't realize in this country is how blessed we are that we have a a broadcast system that that actually, with news, has to be and strives to be um, impartial and balanced. Um, and we have a um, a print media that while it 's free to be partisan is required to be balanced is required to show that there is a a difference between uh, a clear difference between um, uh, fact news conjecture comment speculation is required to do that. Um, uh, and and on the whole, uh, very much on the whole, actually does that. So, I if I if I met uh, the president, which I'm not likely to do, I would say, well, sir, I, I I believe that you're wrong about that, and you are doing a great deal of harm, not just to the media, but to your people, who need to have trust in the media.
0: Moving on to a different um, but equally important issue, you recently gave evidence about diversity in the media industry and um, I wondered whether you think that our current uh, newspaper industry is reflective enough of society as a whole and if not, what more can be done about that?
1: I I think that it certainly is not reflective enough of society as a whole. Uh, And the the truth is behind this is that this has been known for a while. And it's not like it's been ignored. And certainly I was aware of it when I was editing and was taking steps that I hoped would would um resolve the issue as best that i could and i certainly know that throughout the industry there have been steps that have been taken to try and it's 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 as if i i think rather unfairly the industry will get will get blamed and say well aren't you aware and aren't can't you see that it's far better and just but also practical for you to actually have a newsroom and therefore a." Um, and use output, which actually reflects better the, the communities that, that you serve. And to which the answer is, well, go figure. Of course we do. Of course we do that. It's how do we actually do it? And the, 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 the most galling thing is, and I speak to quite a few people in the industry about this, the most galling thing is that we haven't achieved what we wanted to. Now, you could say, and I would agree, well, that's because it wasn't given the urgency that it, it required. It was, it, 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 we can look back now and say, we really needed to double and treble the efforts that, that are there. And that is certainly going on now, uh, with it throughout the whole of the industry. And the society is playing a role in that we know all of this is going on. So we've reaching out to the industry and saying, please help us by telling us of, of, what you are doing and what you have done and where your success stories have been and how you have achieved what you have achieved so that we can create a database that helps the industry to do this rather than wasting time reinventing the wheel. And for also reaching out to, to individuals and organizations and saying, are you willing to help? Don't sit on the sidelines pointing fingers, please, and saying, why aren't you doing more? If you can help us, come and help us. Come and help us to do this. And let's connect you. Let's put you in touch uh, with all of that that's there. So. It, it, In reflection, it's not not a case of the fact that the the, the industry doesn't realise that it it has a challenge there. It's how to now to move forward on that challenge and saying, look, it's not been good enough. We've got to do more.
0: Yep. Yep. Great. Um, The UK is currently ranked at number 35 in the World Press Freedom Index. Why do you think we're not placed higher and what steps would you like to see the government take to get us higher up the list?
1: Uh, well, that's that's very good, and, and um, a few off the record conversations I have with people regarding that that index there, which is um, well, one of the things is that we expect more, or it's expected that the UK would do better than some of the other nations which are based above us because of our long standing. So therefore, we're we're hoisted by our own petard. Well, I, I don't quite accept that i mean there might be a little bit of 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 that that's that's there there's also a case of look there's an awful lot more media here in the united kingdom than some of some other nations and so therefore there's an awful lot that needs to be to be got right okay fair enough so it's a bigger challenge and we should be doing it we should be doing it that's there i think that effectively yes i think that, that we could have again it comes down to the will it comes down to politicians at the moment there's a lot of good talk a lot of good talk and i think well meaning and well intentioned about britain leading the way with the the, the global campaign for media freedom uh, which we partnered up with canada to canada to do and when again i talked to the uh, government and people in whitehall about this and saying you can see the irony of this can't you that that we place ourselves there in, in a finger wagging mode saying come on you all ought to have a free press and and, and treat Uh, freedom of the press more seriously out there yet we languish in the middle 30s all the time in this um, in this chart in this table they they say yeah we we see it and and uh, those who off the record again will say well and we don't mind having that stick to beat us with because that's that's a that's a good thing for us then to be actually saying come on what have we got to do what could we do practically well we could we could for instance we could Government could finally, once and for all, scrap Section 40, which hangs over us, um, which, as you know, was the, the punitive damages that would be placed against any newspaper that didn't sign up, supposedly, to the voluntary, supposedly um, uh, um, uh, recognised under the Royal Charter regulator. So much for being voluntary if you're going to have punitive damages. Uh, there are other things that can be swept away. We've still got far too much secrecy in this country. Far too much. Yes, we've got freedom of information requests, but they take so long when they are actually answered. And, and, and in many cases, I'm sorry what they're used for anecdotally, but also my own experience is, is that uh, you, you'll approach a, a, a body, be it the, the health body or, or it will be the um, a local authority, and you'll ask them for information, which you, you really should just get over the phone. We'll get, we'll get back to you on that or whatever. And it's, it's a put an FOI request in. Oh, that's going to drag on for so many weeks, is it? While well, you finally, if you bother to... it It, it is ridiculous that we, 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 we still hide so much. And, it, and also, it's a case of, well, that's already on our website. Well, you try and find it. We are yeah. an open society. We've got... No, no, we're not. Tons and tons of information and, and news that, that, that even if it should be being released, made out there in a transparent way, it's, it's hidden. It's hidden away. So there's plenty, plenty that, that can be done. Uh, to To actually by those in authority that can actually make us much better when it comes it comes to press freedom and we 've seen some silly games that have been going on from the government at the start of the year with moving around with the lobby system um, and the society of editors at that time said we hope this doesn 't lead to the exclusion of certain uh, news outlets and lo and behold that's exactly what happened uh yeah. so they've rode back from that immediately but we we can see this and we've we've seen some during the covid crisis it stopped happening now i'm, I'm pleased to say where it's made well we're not going to answer questions for from certain campaigning newspapers which was shorthand for ca- papers which are asking us awkward questions um that we don't like uh you know every time you do that that knocks us back down that's that, that, that
0: well, I was going to ask, you've been at the forefront of complaints about changes to the lobby system. I mean, can you expand on that a bit more and, and why it's so important?
1: Well, um, it it is important because it's the, the the only way, really, that it allows the media, to those who don't know what the lobby system is, basically, basically it's those who are accredited, can meet with government advisors that can give briefings of just what is going on in Parliament. What, is, what is, is the government's intention? What is it doing? It can answer questions and, and all those kinds of things. And what the, the, the government um, – those can be sort of like uncomfortable uh, in, in some ways and, and almost well, difficult for the government to control, which is a good thing. So governments always like to control the message as, as much as possible. It takes a brave government to sort of like say we really don't care um, that's there. And so, additionally, um, for pragmatic reasons, supposedly, these these um, the, the lobby meetings take place twice a day during the week, in the morning and in the afternoon. Um, the, at the beginning of the of the year, with very little consultation, the government moved the afternoon one down to Downing Street, number 11, that was it, number nine Downing Street, number nine Downing Street, um, which meant that the lobby correspondents in the afternoon had to all troop from Westminster, not a long distance, I know, but they had to leave just at the time that Westminster was waking up and, you know, Prime Minister's question time, so all those kinds of things were going on. And also because it's, it's in um, in Downing Street and not in the House of Parliament themselves, it can be controlled. And as we said, we feared, well, they can say, well, you can come in, but you can't, um, which then they pro- they promptly did and we saw a walkout of, um, of all the lobby correspondents. Even the ones that were allowed in so Well, you know, we're not, we're not belonging to, we're not coming in if you don't let, let um, the others in there, which was fantastic. Now, of course, the government have announced that they're going to move to a, a daily press briefing, uh, White House style, um, before the cameras and, and, and live and, and all that kind of thing. How transparent, they say. Yeah, but once again, you could restrict the number of questions. Choose who you're going to go to and you can close down the whole thing uh, uh, and so you can contain it. So on the one level, it looks extremely transparent. Doesn't it? And yes, no doubt, some government spokesmen, the prime minister will be caught out and made to look a, 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 you know, uncomfortable. But on the other level, they've got an awful lot more control over it um, than they used to have. So is this a good thing? I, again, I, I, shall I shall I be naive and err on the side of, of? I'm sure this is done with the best of intentions, but we'll probably end up with the laws of unintended consequences. That's me being very generous.
0: Is a government led by a former journalist good for press freedom? Do you think?
1: <laughs> uh-huh. I, well, it's good for us in the Society of Editors in the sense that when we write to the Prime Minister uh, um, about any issue, and we try not to bombard him with too many letters, um, we can actually add in there as a former journalist yourself, you will be aware, uh, <laughs> which I is bet so he loves
0: <laughs> that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, it is. It is quite good in that sense. You know, you know, gamekeeper term poacher or poacher. And gamekeeper, depending on how you want to look about at it, um, he certainly knows his way around the media. So I, I think, on reflection, the two things will sort of counterbalance themselves. It's good to have someone who there who understands the media, and I believe, I, I genuinely believe this. I genuinely believe that he buys into a, a free media and a free press, um, and uh, and is supportive in that sense. And in that sense, it, it's absolutely. You know, good, vital that we have someone right at the very top who understands how important a a free media and a free press. I do hope I'm not wrong about that. I don't believe I am at the moment.
0: And politicians aren't the only powerful players who have refused to talk or answer questions from certain media outlets. We also have other figures in the public eye, for example, uh, Prince Harry and Meghan, uh, who um, have decided for, for whatever reason they don't um, always want to talk to the press. How would you like to see the press respond when such um, instances occur?
1: Well, of course, it's very tempting, isn't it, to um, to say that the best the best way of doing it is to say well if you don't want to talk to any of us that's or some of us then that's fine none of us will talk to you and we'll we will um we'll just ignore you we'll just ignore you and there's quite a few people that that that, that, that say that particularly outside of the industry um that's never really a, a, a sensible way of doing it uh, and and you deny the public then the um uh, the news, the, the the news. If if you took that attitude with anyone who turns around, there's an awful lot of people who would say, "Yeah, well, thank you very much." uh Yes, I mean, how do you how do you deal with this? Well, you just continue on, and and you continue to to show up the ironies. Um, I think. I think. Look, when someone in the public eye does something good, I, I think the media should reflect that and say, "Here's something, and they're doing some good work for charity and and whatever it is." Um, and and that's to be fair, and I think. I th- I feel that with the, the the Duke and Duchess of Sussex that 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 has been the case and continues to be the case that even those publications that they are at odds with are still running articles of the good charity works that they are doing um, out and about in Los Angeles helping out with I think food distribution and and and, and things like that. Uh, but that should never, ever prevent um, any news organisation from pointing out if they think, well, you know, there's, a, there's a, maybe a bit of hypocrisy here, or is is this right that this this should be going on? And for any any individual organisation body to believe that um, that they can control that they can only have the nice things written about them. Um, and that anything that is critical of them is unwarranted and an intrusion into their privacy. I'm I'm afraid is is on a hiding to nothing, uh, and 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 so so they they shouldn't they shouldn't be. Obviously there is a there is a there is a difference between people, um, who, say members of the royal family who are are famous people but are not celebrities. Once made very. Forceful to me by um, someone from the royal household, uh, not a member of the family. I hasten to add that they are they are mm. famous people, but they're not celebrities. And I think that that's absolutely true. Um, whether or not the Duke and Duchess of Sussex are now, you know, now moving themselves into the world of celebrities uh, is a is another another question that's there. But if if someone uh, says, right, I'm not going to talk to to you uh well I, as i say you can either t- you know you can either say right well in that case i'm going to ignore you which i think that just denies the public that mm-hmm. that is that denies them the news and the information that they should have i think it should be a case of well i'm st- we're still going to report on you and we will still make it absolutely as accurate as we can we will still come to you for a comment still give you the opportunity uh but we'll we do it and i, I remember at, uh, at um, one of the papers i was editing. Um, as is quite the norm, we uh, we fell out with um, uh, the um, chairman of the local football club who barred us from attending. Which is usually marvellous because it shows you're doing your job. Um, and But we would still phone up whenever we had a story and say, what does the club think of this? And they would say, I don't know why you're phoning us for. We're never going to give you an answer. And we said, because we want to give you the opportunity of giving us an answer. So it can never be said but we didn't give you that opportunity. And eventually all things have been out.
0: Yes, yeah. Coming on to press finances, which uh, has been uh, another difficult area in recent years. Um, firstly, the impact of social media platforms on uh, the, the more mainstream media. How would you like to see them regulated?
1: The, the social platforms, again, be careful. Be, be careful with, with that. There are those that, that really want a heavy, heavy hand of, uh, of regulation. Uh, uh, from the Society of Editors' point of view, uh, we've, we've always you know, argued from for our own industry's point of view um, for self-regulation so it's it's difficult and would be unjust for us to turn around and say but for you there should be you know regulation imposed from on, from on high and on above it's uh, it's much better to actually come to a position where you can you've got self regulation that effectively fits within guidelines and and, uh, and areas that enable um it, 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 it to work for 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 both sides I mean, it comes really onto the online harms. It comes into areas of – I know there's there's big debates over um, are the the, the digital platforms paying their way when it comes to, obviously, tax, when it comes to paying for – the uh, the content that they use that's created by elements of the media uh, th- those are very important areas and we're seeing more and more conversations that that are that are taking place about about that in that way I don't come from a position that says that that you know that that it there must be draconian regulation of course, I think that, that that is that is counterproductive and I think that it can be a win win situation after all the industry is it has some a lot of benefits from working with um, and the involvement of the digital platforms um, that are there, but there's definitely, particularly from the revenue point of view, um, they have been a um, they have been a challenge. Shall we, shall we say? But we are where we are, and I think we just need to be careful that we don't go f- forward in a way that stifles matters too much. That we that we can find things that are beneficial to both sides.
0: Another great challenge um, has been COVID-19, which has uh, decimated advertising and at the same time has prevented people from going out and buying particularly local and regional newspapers in the way that they used to, or picking up their free newspapers at stations um, in the case of the uh, Evening Standard in London. Um of the various different funding suggestions about what we can do to ensure that we have a viable newspaper industry going forward, which ones do you think um, are, are the best?
1: I, well, I think it's it's um, it's horses for courses and one size doesn't fit all. Um, we've seen great amount of success from the local democracy um, initiative that, that where it's funding from the BBC, which funds something like, I think, 150 local journalists working in the regions um, that are there. And we've got something similar with about 80 journalists so far from the, the Facebook um, uh, journalism uh, project where local community uh, uh, reporters working within the um, the local media in that sense. And I think um, more of the same of that would be quite good. There's a lot of consideration going on around putting more bums on seats in courts, on the press benches in courts, and I would say also inquests are just as important for that. So any expansion that's there, um, and it's a case of where does where does the money come from? One of the big question marks over it, or, and one of the great um, imponderables at the moment is how much public money. Um, and the BBC's money is public money at the end of the day. And if other funding comes in in that way, so say, for instance, one of the discussions is we we take money off the, the – the when I say we, I mean probably the government or in some form will take money off uh, the digital platforms to then reinvest, uh, rather like Facebook are already doing, but on a larger scale back into the, the regional press in particular, but maybe elsewhere in that sort of sense. But how do you get that, again – once you take it, it becomes public money. And there is unease that if you're beholden on public money all of the time, then, then now you become beholden on, on the politics uh, that basically comes with it when you wish to be free free of, of, of that in that way. So I don't think there's one size fits all. I think it, it is, it, 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 what, we, what we don't want to create here is um, a media in this country which is totally dependent on, on handouts them yeah. to a begging bowl for the government, or, or for, for things, uh, you know, for or for anywhere else. To so just, you know, at their their whim and for charity to be handing it out. What we need to do is to press forward now and say, yes, we may need some support to get to it, but let's get to an, a a position now where we are viable again, much more than than at than present. Although, though, I I don't want to say that you know the the media is on its knees. It is not, not no, on its knees. No. It's 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 not drinking in the last chance saloon. It is not there. But we can move to a more viable um, long-term future. And that is, yes, going back to addressing the situation of um, a more equitable uh, distribution of advertising and uh, funding for uh, payment for for, for content.
0: So when you look ahead, what excites you most about the outlook for newspapers in this country?
1: Oh, what excites me? Well, I think... I think I'm very optimistic because of what, what's what gone on during the COVID-19. Now, it sounds actually dreadful to say that, but you know what I mean, because I've said it's a very thin silver lining, but it is a silver lining in the way that there has been an awful lot of um, uh, support for, for the media, not, not just on a local level, but on a national level. I mean, we've seen things like The Telegraph, for instance, who, who um, didn't put anyone on furlough and I think, I think announced that they were paying back. I think there were initial loans at the beginning and they were paying, paying that back because they, they didn't want it because um, they didn't put any journalists on furlough, but I think they might have put others on because they, they said, no, it's been fine. It's been fine we don't need to be beholden we, we get, we're going to get pay this money back, so we've seen it in that way, so I think that that going forward it's it, it's in that way and we've also seen that the 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 take up for um for subscriptions for national newspapers and now also regional newspapers has been fantastic, absolutely fantastic and what we have seen a, a, course of COVID-19 and the crisis that we've been in is the acceleration of the plans that were already in place um, of, by the regional newspaper groups to accelerate putting their papers behind paywalls which they now feel comfortable. Comfortable, They're more assured that they can do that than they would have been uh, a, a, a sort of a, quite some time ago because the public have come to really actually value this. I'd actually miss this. You know, paying something like £4.99, which I think West Coast for their papers a month um so your daily paper delivered to you on the website for for, for a month although they are giving the covid19 still free um you know that 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 in in the in the days of that we're used to paying for for netflix and amazon prime and things like that whereas beforehand it might have been a case of well if i don't get it for free i'm not interested i think it's a case of well actually yes we do value this and we do like it and you know, earlier on, I was one of those editors when the news, when the internet first came along and uh, they said, oh, you know, you're going to have to put all your content on for free. Who did a double take and went, I'm oh, sorry, beg your pardon. All this hard work that we do, you want me to give it away for free? And they, yeah, yeah, we do. You know, I'm so skeptical. But then as the time went by, it was a case of, I can see now. You've got to build an audience. And that's what happened. And there are some people that say, oh, you know, we should have had paywalls right from the very beginning, even with regional newspapers. Well, setting aside the fact that the difficulty of how do you cope then with uh, the, the the BBC websites locally, which are very good and and of course you don't have to pay to go on those because you've already got paid for through the license fee. Discuss. Um, putting that aside, you just wouldn't have had the audience. But now the audiences are so huge to regional news sites that you can say, well, "Come on, you enjoy all this. We don't ask you for very much." But Pay for it, and the, and and you value it. So I think that the that the future is good. I think that it's going to be a close run thing for for some some titles uh, where the uh, the internet and the revenue and and the the paywalls and the subscriptions actually. Yeah, ensure it into, into profitability, and that we know that there's some pain coming because um, some of the, the large groups have announced redundancies. But I'm, I'm optimistic that we will, we will go forward uh, and be, continue to be incredibly relevant papers, whether they're national, regional, local, or hyper-local, which are now emerging. You see, nature abhors a vacuum. People are just really interested. We're always interested. We're nosy. We want to know what's going on. You know, we want to know what's going on. And so where there's a there's a a the disappearance of local media, then new media crops up there. New hyperlocal sites are, are are appearing in those those sort of areas. But but the good old trusted local regional papers still got a huge brand, a huge following, and the national newspapers are doing incredibly well as well, I think. I don't want to paint it, oh, everything's fantastic. Yes, it's going to be hard work, but I am optimistic.
0: Finally, as someone who works in the newspaper industry and and has done um, throughout your career, what do you read or listen to or watch to relax at the end of the day?
1: (laughs) That's a very good question. Um, And... um, uh, obviously, when it comes to switching off the computer and and stop reading the newspapers that I've been reading, and I read as many as I can. I I read the sites, Guido Four, Politico, all kinds of 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 sites that are there. Uh, my wife is very relieved when um, we settle down in front of the TV, and um, you know. A lot, a lot of the time Netflix and amazon prime these days, but yes still b b c there's some fantastic programs on there and, and things um I tend to have to sort of uh, catch up on panorama because this is this is this is this is time away. My wife's not a journalist away from that but my um and uh, reading for for relaxation, I tend to have like one historical novel on the go um at the uh, the same time as as um uh, as, as a a thriller or something like that so my, my historical one is the quest for queen mary which was um edited by hugo Vickers, uh which is marvelous um insight into the life of of, of uh, the aristocracy um about um, about, about uh, 60, 60 70 years ago um and i usually i'm right reading something uh that is a, a john grisham or something on the side as well my my absolute um, uh sneaky pleasure, though, is I um, will then, late at night, if I'm on my own, I will go onto YouTube and I will watch some of the uh, foreign news broadcasts, which are then condensed down into a short news tube, uh, program, of course, um, particularly the English-speaking ones. I'm not very good at foreign language, so the ones from the United States and Australia and, and, and other places and Canada, so because I'm fascinated in how they tell their news. And particularly, of course, if they tell any news about us, it's always fascinating to see how others actually see us in that way. So I, I, sometimes I can probably tell you more about what's going on in, in, um, in Seattle than I, I can what's, what's going on in Scarborough.
0: So basically, you're a news junkie.
1: <laughs> I'm afraid so. Yeah, I'm afraid yeah, so. Yeah, but my wife yeah. knew that when she married me.
0: Yes. Yes. Great. Well, Ian Murray, thank you very much for joining us on the In Publishing podcast today. Thank you. A big thank you again to Acorn Web Offset for sponsoring this podcast. If you're looking for a new magazine printer, then check out their website at acornweb.co.uk or contact Matt Carey on 07714 or by email at matthew.carey at acornweb.co.uk. Thank you to Ian for being our guest this week. For more information about the Society of Editors, go to societyofeditors.org or follow them on Twitter where their handle is at Editors UK. In Publishing publishes a free weekly email newsletter, InPub Weekly, which you can register to receive at our website, inpublishing.co.uk. Thank you for listening and please join me next week on the In Publishing podcast.